0: I'm Ainsley compulsive overeater and I was really nervous about speaking what I tend to do is like I'm finished in five minutes (laughs) I'm like 25 minutes so I've got all these notes you know just in case I'm going to try to drag it out (laughs) but um so and I bought some pictures And before I pass it around, I think one of the interesting things about compulsive eating is I threw away most of my fat pictures. (laughs) I really did, especially the ones when I was a kid. I was, like, really overweight as a kid. I looked like a little butterball turkey. And I was going, not a one. They're all gone. I threw them away. And... um, even when I'm older, I mean, the one here where I'm really big, I'm pregnant. So there's like an excuse. The, the last one where I'm pretty big, I'm, I'm almost entirely hidden behind a tree because that's what I would do. You know, if I was heavy, I'd hide behind a person or a tree or do this number or go like this, do this with the neck. You know, well, there's the age thing now, too, but it used to just be the weight thing. So that's part of it. And the other thing is, I've got a picture in here of when I was a little girl. I'm not sure if it's five or six. But part of this disease is denial and shame and can be a complete divorcing from reality. So one of the things about my story is that I grew up, I grew up in the south, Louisiana. My parents were, um, my mother was a war bride. She was from England they met during the war she was like 16 when she joined the WAFs not because she was patriotic but because all the men were gone yeah. and I just recently my mom died I had a very difficult relationship with my mom but I did I was there for her in the end and she died on May 2nd and I ended up having to do the obituary and the you know my brother tried to write it and then I realized he was like insane and unable to write and the eulogy but while i was doing it i found out that um, one of the things she did because she was in the west which is the Brit- british royal women's air force before they had radar she'd go up in the zeppelins and watch with binoculars for the incoming planes and radio down that the planes were coming in and she had to go through the effects of the fallen pilots and <laughs> That was one of the things her first love was a pilot, a fighter pilot who was shot down. And when she was dying, she was saying his name, which is it's interesting how people go back to the beginning. But anyway, so but I, I was the youngest of um, seven children. Um, I had five older brothers and I had an older sister. My sister was 13 years older and she was bulimic, very hardcore bulimic. She's still out there. Um, she's got to have brain damage at this point. She's also a hoarder. So she lives alone in this house in Texas with all these dogs and hasn't spoken to anybody in years. And it's just, it, this is a devastating, devastating disease. And, you know, and I think about her all the time. I tried to get in touch with her because I had to get everybody's signatures from my crazy family, most of whom I don't talk to, because we were cremating my mom, right? So somebody went out there, and she accused them of, like, trying to get her, and then they wanted to send the police to get the signature from her, and I said no. So I made them let me sign an affidavit, so they wouldn't do that to her, you know? Um, Anyway, so the first picture of when I was a little girl, I grew up with this, like, idea that I was the protected little girl. And then I found this picture. I pulled all my hair out. I'm clearly disturbed. And that was the beginning of a long journey that I took, many years of therapy, more therapy than I'd ever want to talk about, of getting to the truth of what my past was. So, and I just talk about that as a part of this disease. There's that that denial, and so that picture's in here. And then the next one, it's like the first time I lost weight. There's no fat pictures in between. Sorry, they were purged. <laughs> and then, and then the next one, I'm 18. I'm just getting back from Europe, having my first McDonald's binge meal. I'm thin there too. The fat pictures again gone. And then I'm 24. I'm semi-heavy, but I'm wearing a nice dress, and you can't really tell. And then I'm pregnant. And then I'm very thin at 38 and some other weights. And then the latest was, you know, at 55 where I'm hiding behind the tree. So here you go. I'm going to pass those around. So um, my earliest memory, I, I'm in another program, which I won't talk about because you're not supposed to, but I am. And, and my sponsor was, I think she's my ex-sponsor now. Anyway, she, she, um, she asked me which was my primary addiction. And I think most people income overeaters not as it would be food just because it starts so young it's not going to be everybody's situation but for many of us so my first memory is at age five or six going on food runs with my sister because my older sister had charge of me because my mom she's got some there's some mental illness issues in my family and uh, especially the one of the brothers like number three down oh no um anyway one of the brothers had um a childhood onset schizophrenia which is like the severest form of it um and then it came back when he was a teenager but they took him to a Freudian analyst and he got my mother hooked on so many drugs I have like multiple degrees I'm like a professional student and one of them was a master's in counseling I remember taking psychopharmacology and like looking at the, the array of drugs my mom was on you know a lot of antipsychotics so I don't know I mean I think she's probably like a borderline personality disorder but she may have even had more severe mental issues I don't know because she was hooked on all these drugs by this guy and then they tried to get her off them at one point and she almost died because you cannot go off all the psychotropic drugs called turkey Um, but anyway, my, my basic memory of my mom during my childhood is that she was lying down in her bed in the back bedroom. So my sister pretty much had charge of me. Um, and so we go on these food runs. So we would have to hit, I can remember at least two stores. I think we probably hit more than that because we didn't want anybody to know how much food we were buying. Like, they cared or it mattered. So I do remember, I know, right? We would go to the KB and the 7 and I, I know many of us know this to this day. You go to Trader Joe's or the grocery store, and you're going to buy a staple in there along with all your junk food. So they think this is a normal grocery run, even though they see you in there every night, right? Anyway, so... um I remember stopping at the K&B, which was like the drugstore. stopping at the 7-Eleven and buying multiple amounts of junk food. And then we'd go home and eat it. Okay? Now, my sister was bulimic. She hid the purging behavior. So she stayed thin. And I got fat. And I was Catholic. So I thought God didn't like me. And I was a sinner. And that's why I was fat and she was thin. I'm thankful because, you know, I don't have purging to deal with as well as, you know, compulsive dieting, you know, because it's another addiction. It's a physical addiction to the purging. But what a dumb, I mean, I'm have been She was either really good at hiding and I was kind of stupid. Never had a clue. Never, never. So, but that's, that's part of, again, so the thing about God, that's part of the shame. I was very Catholic. I was very sort of into magical thinking. Um, I didn't like Jesus, but I was very much into the Virgin Mary and all the female saints, especially Bernadette, because I don't know. The Virgin appeared to her and there was water streaming. And so I almost brought my old statue of the Virgin Mary, which I shattered at one point. I still have it in a little box at home. But I, I mean, I built a trough with water and flowers for my statue and I would pray to it. And eventually when. It didn't seem like she was going to come through for me. I broke it up. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the kind of that was the kind of kind of sort of magical thinking that I had. That's not a mature relation. That's not even spirituality. That's just kind of like schizoid personality disorder, or maybe a little bit on the spectrum, you know. So, um, and when I had my first communion, I don't know if you guys know much about Catholicism, okay. but like a what? Sorry, I was taking my jacket off. I wanted to show my scars. Anyway, you probably can't see them anyway. I got this. I'm going to put it back on. I got a skin disease, which I, I later found out was common among kids who were sexually abused, because I was sexually abused by several family members. I don't want to go into it in too much details. So anyway, um, so this weird disease, it was on my arms. And it was between my thighs. And the dermatologist, I don't know if this was like a normal treatment for it, but he gave my mom some kind of acid, and she and my brothers would take me in the back and hold me down and pour acid on me. So I know, right? It was not fun, but it happened right at the first communion. So I had to go down in this little white communion dress, and I had these red marks on me. Well, honey, I thought it was the devil. I was marked, I was marked by the devil. So that's this kind of magical thinking. That's like part of the shame that I grew up with. And then I was trying to write down other incidences of shame because it's always like after I finish speaking, I'm like, oh, I should said that or that. Anyway, so I went. I was in a Catholic school for the first couple of years, and I remember very clearly her name was Cindy. If you're out there, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> Cindy Crumb, I think. She, like, tricked me into telling her my weight because I was obese. And she was kind of heavy, but not near as fat as me. So she tricked me into telling her, and then she ran around the playground screaming to everybody how much I weighed, and they shamed me. So I remember that. And after that, my mom took me out of the Catholic school. Plus, those nuns weren't mean. Oh, my God. They made me pee on myself one time in front of the – because they wouldn't let me go to the bathroom. And then I remember one hit me with a – pencil or something in the eye and I was crying and she said you're faking it <laughs> And anyway, I was happy to leave the Catholic school uh. then then I went to like regular elementary school and I had this best friend from when I was in kindergarten before I got fat I was just bald from pulling my hair out but I hadn't got fat yet and her name was Tia and um, I just adored Tia, and she was like, my, she was popular. She's a little sporty girl. And I overheard her telling somebody that Nancy, I don't remember Nancy's last name, but she had a blue eye and a green eye, was her best friend, not me. And, I mean, that's not that bad. It was, this was huge and horrible for me. I was so shamed. I mean, Tia was nice, and she was trying to be nice to me, but there was the reality. She didn't really want anything to do with me. The only person who was kind of friendly was Tony Perner because the breast came in early because I was so fat. And he was very, ha- very pleased with him, and really unhappy when I lost weight. And then I remembered this, too. I wanted to write this down. OK, my brothers, you know, I had the five older brothers. Um, they had a song. Do you remember the Superman song? Able to eat a Whopper in a single bite. Able to drink a 16-ounce Pepsi in a single gulp. It's fat girl. Mary, because I used to go by my first name, Mary. Now Ainsley's my middle name. Yeah, so that was my nickname, fat girl. Now, the first diet. Okay, the first diet was when I was about 13. And I determined that I was going to lose weight. And this is like the time, I think this is probably the time of onset of anorexia, probably for many people um you know like adolescence is coming and you're trying to control things I never got to that point you know I wasn't disciplined enough or I probably would have but um I can remember from this diet I remember I had this like red plastic lunch pail and I can remember that I would have one boiled chicken breast it had to be boiled till it was right and there was nothing left of flavor of it and uh, a beverage form slice of white bread you know it was like that thicker bread that was more like british bread or whatever and i'm not sure if i ate dinner or not i think i probably had a glass of milk for breakfast and then i would do all this exercise i do 50 sit-ups my sister and i used to do these things where you crawl on your butt back and forth down the hallway my sister my older sister who also aside from being bulimic and she was also a professional student she got in a terrible car accident with a head-on collision and got some money from it so she bought a trampoline for me she tried to be a good mom we had horses you know but she was sick so she did her best um, so then I'd go i get on the trampoline for 100 jumps and do 50 sit-ups and I went from 150 to 104 pounds in a couple of months and this is another thing I spent um, I had a deep deep desire all my life to hide because of the shame, because of my past, and I really got to see what it was like to go from invisible to visible, you know, because I was pretty cute, you know, and I got a lot of attention. And because I'd been sexually abused, I started acting out sexually. I, I cannot describe to you, it's like I didn't know I had any rights over my own body. I really didn't. You know, and I got myself into some situations, and I was also drug and alcohol. My brothers, some of them were also, we won't go into that as a podcast, but, you know. So, okay. So the other diets, there were many diets after this. 600 calories with vitamin B shots from the doctor and weekly groups where I regaled them with stories of my binges, which they love to hear. Speed from the doctor. Flat out speed. Speed from the diet doctor. Special doctor that you went to in the next county. Nutrisystem. Weight watchers. Torture. Torture. Master cleanse. Okay. I also, I I teach yoga. I've been around yoga people. Very popular one. Master cleanse. Fast diets. Raw food diet. I'm the only person I know who was able to gain weight on the raw food diet. I (laughs) mean, and multiple other diets. I've tried them all. Number obsession. I wanted to bring this up because what I would do is I would write out a new diet. Then I could go out shopping, binge. Throw away whatever I hadn't finished and start the new diet. And I, you know, it's like a last supper. And I remember when I went to I went to Greece and I met this German woman and I was telling her about pig outs and binges. She'd never heard that concept. I'm like, this is it uniquely American? <laughs> but but what I would do is when I made out whatever diet it was, I had to have my goal weight. This was very important, the goal weight. So what I would do is I would spend hours a day like in magazines or on the internet, poring over celebrities that I thought looked good, that I was going to look like, and see what their weight was, and then calculate the difference for inches if I was shorter than them or taller. And then I would put that on my diet. Okay, good. I'm going to make it for the whole time. That's encouraging. I'll start going faster. All right. So um, it would vary from like 105 to 125 if I was trying to be really reasonable, but I didn't really think that was ever going to be thin enough and uh, my current weight would be anywhere from like 165 to 120 but it's like the minute I wrote this out and put it on the fridge I was absolved of all responsibility I was free to binge it's the craziest concept and some part of my little psyche knew that but I would do it anyway okay um just. Times where all I wanted to do was be alone and binge. When I was 16, I ran off with a Norwegian sailor I met on the high school cruise. He sent me a ticket to Norway and the Canary Islands. I lied to my dad. I told him I was in Florida. And we were in the Canary Islands. I remember he wanted to go out with his chef to these, like, risque bars. They I'm like, go ahead, go go they're like you're so open-minded I'm like no I want to be alone to binge which yeah. I did I it said you know you want to be alone with your food you don't want people watching you and my I, I was a single mom for years and just like going out to eat with my son because I wanted to eat and it's just like the food's more important than my relationship with my son really uh denial of childhood abuse shame manifest in hiding in the weight okay I'd hide in my in getting heavy because I couldn't handle getting attention, and I did a lot of therapy, like I said. And one of the things I did was called authentic movement. It's this Jungian dance technique where people move around with their eyes closed, and other people watch them. Anyway, I would either put a hoodie on backwards with the hood up, or a blanket over me so nobody could see me. And that's a deep, deep part of that wanting to hide. When I did Jungian sand tray, I buried my sand tray so she couldn't see it. I like, stuck it out, you know. But that's just part of that. I mean, I think so much with compulsive eating, it's it's a deep, deep early childhood issue, and it's not easy, and I just want to say something about abstinence here. I mean, I love that everybody comes up with their own abstinence, you know, because this is a very complicated disease, and some people can eat anything, and some people have trigger foods, and that was one of the best things is I worked out my abstinence with my sponsor, and I lost 60 pounds. And I've kept it off. It's been, it was three years, August 2nd. I send my food to her every day. I still do. Um, It's been, a lot of it was easy. But, you know, like I work from home. And when I travel or something, it's very difficult for me. I make up a menu once a week. I use an app that looks at calories and carbs. And that's another thing. It's like some people, they can't do that because they did so much dieting. And I really don't do it as a dieting. I have like a range You know, also part of my abstinence was I would weigh, but only once a week. And I don't weigh that much at all anymore. I mean, for a long time, I would weigh once a week. But um, if my jeans start to get tight, I might weigh and I might cut down on my food plan a little bit. But I'm very careful with that. I talk to my sponsor about it. And I don't get into, oh, if I just lose another five pounds, life will be good. No, that is just that is just so dangerous for me. And. All my different weights. I was never happy with my body. You know, doing three yoga classes a day. I was so cut. People would stop me on the street to see if I was a weightlifter. I, you know, the stomach. This horrible stomach. I'm horrible. It's just, you know. So the biggest thing is the, you know, just that spiritual relief from the obsession with gaining and losing. Now, the rest of it, I have a lot of work to do. You know, I'm, it's, it's very hard. I knew I had to come back to meetings. You know, um, it's very hard for me to make friends to share. I, I really stay very isolated, and um, I'm a very angry person. And I really have to work on, you know, turning it over, making amends, you know. And um, and I do my best. And that's the other thing is to be gracious and gentle with yourself and remember that this is a practice and this is a program and I really need this program I really need to be a service because if I wasn't in a service position I might not show up at that meeting I really made myself come up here and speak even though I was really scared and especially about the whole podcast thing and nervous and afraid I'd only talk for five minutes but you know see it's okay I'm gonna I'm gonna complete it I can see and I have more notes if I need them it's all good And um, I'm just, I'm so, so grateful for this program. I'm grateful for all the people that show up and all the people that share their experience, strength, and hope and their problems. I really like to hear problems (laughs) because so many times that's what I identify with. And yay! It's done! Thank you! This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself uh, because we're being recorded. Um, Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Any questions? I thank you so much for the share of so much about you. Um, I certainly didn't know, so thank you for being so transparent. Which brings me to, um, you had a relationship with what was a higher power for you at one time, which is now in a box. I was wondering, what <laughs> it's been being wrapped together. I was wondering uh, does your higher power, if it even looks, looks or feels like today, when it's your perspective. Um, Thank you. So the question is, what does my higher power look like today? Um, Well, a couple of different things. For one thing, I'm an astrologer. So that's sort of my spirituality where I see the universe as making sense and having order. And, you know, I look at a chart. I look at transits. Things fit. And I'm like, okay, so the universe makes sense and has order. So I have kind of a concept of like a cosmos sort of thing um for me when I came back to the program it was very much I have to go to meetings because so many times I would say I'm gonna do this I'm gonna stop that and, and I would never do it I knew I had to go to meetings so you know on the most basic level um OA is my higher power and I I I didn't talk about this I meditate every morning For 20 minutes. Um, I use an app. It helps me. But it has this thing where it like shows you how many days in a row. And I'm like 446. It's really good. And that's made a huge difference to me. That meditation. The first thing I do when I wake up is is I pray. Uh, I've got this compilation of the big book. And I also say the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer. And usually the serenity prayer. I go back and forth. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking to a personal God. Sometimes I feel like I'm just taking the action. But I know that the important thing is taking that action, whether it's a higher self or a higher power or a general cosmos of the, you know, kind of of the universe, it's that action, you know, of letting go and giving up that's important that I didn't do as a child because my whole concept of, God was, it's very much fairy godmother. And I have to watch that with the program, too. Like, uh, I've tried, like, writing the letter to and from God. It doesn't work that well for me. It's just so easy for me to turn it back into the fairy godmother, you know, where I'm, like, asking for stuff. So um, it's a—it's really a, an evolving and ongoing process for me and something that I, I think about and I struggle with. Thanks. Thank you. Having been so abused as a child... Uh, could you talk about the fourth column of the fourth step and how you comfortably or uncomfortably not do your part? My part. Uh, so the question is, uh, with the childhood abuse, how do you get to the fourth column of the fourth step? And that's actually pretty easy. I mean, because uh, I was in therapy for so long. <laughs> <laughs> and also going through what I went through, I think talk about my relationship with my mom is big with us because like I went through years of I was in this great like uh survivors of sexual abuse group therapy group we had so much fun we would do like those old techniques where somebody would be the judge we'd have a little trial we'd beat up pillows and I'm still good friends with one of those women um so I worked through so much anger about my brothers and then much later in life my mom moved in with my son and I and it really came home to me how much damage she had done with first of all just her complete insanity every time she opened her mouth it was basically a lie and and my son broke into her emails and oh oh she'd picked up this weird old guy on the internet and she was saying things about me it was really gross anyway um so you know and then she'd left she basically went through one kid after another gave all the money away and um, so I came to a point where I had to say, I don't care who got what money. I don't care what happened. She's my mother. And I'm going to be there for her however I can. And when, whenever she'd try to start an argument or talk, say that this weird guy she picked up on the Internet was really my father, I would just, like, change the subject. And that was really important for me because the thing about childhood abuse is your part in it is, like, not letting go of it. And that's not to shame anybody because people have to do what they have to do. They have to go through whatever therapy. And I also wrote a couple of novels um, about it. And in the novels, I had, like... Um, an alternate reality I don't know if you guys have ever read Murakami but I love Murakami he's got like the magical realism anyway I had like a labyrinth like an underground and basically what happened in like one of them it's um which happens a lot of times with sexual abuse the person was obsessed with like unavailable men and the character kind of comes around to the realization that who she really had to go after was her early childhood self which she does at the end it's very nice but um it's that's it it's like to let go at some point to go through it and let go and it may come up you know like if something happens it may come up and you deal with that and then you move on because if you hang on to it if you hang on to the anger if you hang on to the victim it's only going to like drain you thank you so much for your sharing you. um can you talk about how you discovered OA and what that process was thanks um the question is how did I discover OA and because I was in um another 12-step program for a long time I heard about OA although ugh, I don't need that you know um and I tried once years and years ago and that's when they had gray sheet, and that was like worse than weight watchers to try to stick to a diet like that and I didn't get the you know and plus to call somebody with my food every day never so thank god for technology because i have an app and i take a screenshot and i email it to my sponsor and then she emails me back i love you ainsley like yeah (laughs) we talk once a week on the phone yeah i can handle that and people are different but that's all i could handle but i was just really really ready this time I went to I I had been in and out of the other program and I came back to both at the same time because for me they were intertwined with those trips to Trader Joe's anyway um I I part of it was working out my abstinence with her because basically the abstinence I was trying to do was really restricting at first but I mean I'm a i'm a paleo and she's a vegan and and we worked it out and she was she was really you know lovely and and i um i i eat dark chocolate at night i don't eat any other sugar but i can have a piece of dark chocolate and that was like a whole issue and so but it's been amazing you know it's been really relief from it and now i have to be very careful like when i travel i found i have to like plan before i go because what i don't want to get into is like the, the sacralization, the deification of food, like looking up restaurant reviews. I was in New Orleans recently looking for that perfect meal. I can't do that. It makes me insane. I found this restaurant, and I was going to get my perfect meal, and there was nothing that was gluten-free. I Like, I had a complete meltdown. So, I mean, it's something I learned about myself. Next time I travel, I'm going to take my food with me or pre plane it because I go insane very easily. Um, the other thing that happened to me Is with my abstinence I lost 60 pounds And then I went to the doctor And my cholesterol was unmeasurable I'm like no I've been so good and I'm being punished And I had to change Tweak my abstinence But I got it normal within three months So it was okay But that was like really scary for me But that's the thing is to ha- it's, You work out your own abstinence This is a spiritual program But do it with a sponsor And don't just change it Talk to your sponsor. And if that sponsor's not working, find another one. But discuss it with another person because, you know, secrets and lies, they'll get us. Thanks. Anybody else? Thank you, So um, it says in our literature that like, we absolutely insist on enjoying life and don't take yourself so seriously. So coming from your past, I can imagine that... You might go to a dark, dark place. And I go there. So I was wondering, when you get there, how do you tap into absolute? You have a likeness about you of um, all the stuff that happened. So how do you access that place when you're in the dark? Um, okay, the question is, uh, with, the, with my past, how do I access the light when I'm in a dark place? And... Um, I've been having a rough time lately, and I hadn't been depressed in a long time, and then when I started to have a rough time, I, you know, I noticed the difference. And I'm not even that depressed, I'm just like pissed off and unhappy. Um, <laughs> I have to say, and, you know, and among my, multiple degrees I have a PhD in philosophy and religion and was a very highbrow reader but I'm now addicted to serial detective novels and serial killer novels and I think that really helped. <laughs> I probably just go read another detective novel and of course there's so many great shows on these days it's so easy to binge watch so yeah that's pretty much it Else? Um, can you uh, talk about making amends? Making amends. Mm. The question is, talk about making amends. My sponsor was really tough. She made me like send checks to libraries that I had books stolen from years before. <laughs> It was tough. Um, The hardest amends was to my son because I was a single mom for so long. And um, just, you know, he's not a compulsive eater, but he got to be a heavy kid and then he, like, lost weight. But it was just so painful for him to, like, see me buy all that food and then throw it out and also just I mean I spent most of my adult life I was like obsessing over some really loser unavailable guy and yeah you know just not there for him um and, and it was hard he was like really embarrassed and didn't want to hear it and you know so I mean that was the most poignant amends for me um I didn't make amends to like the men in my family who abused me um I tried to tell their wives and, you know, one of their kids was arrested for possession of child pornography. I'm pretty sure it's because his brother, you know, that was and that came up. That was hard for me. That came up like the year before last. But um, no, I didn't make amends to them. I made amends to myself, I think, when like I wrote novels and stuff and kind of worked through it sort of like. Uh, the retroactive effect of meaning changing the past—you <laughs> can't change your past. <laughs> it's all how you think of it, the meaning you make of it. Um, oh, good, we're out of time! Yay! Oh,
1: five minutes!
0: Oh, false alarm. <laughs> Did that answer your question? <laughs> Thanks. Hey, to OA. Can you that? did you go out and go so oh. or no. sure uh, the question is did I did I leave OA and come back I never really came before this time because I, I like went to one meeting and they gave me that gray sheet and told me I was gonna have to call somebody with my food every day I never went back I knew about it and I was in other 12-step programs but this time that I came to OA was really the only time I'd really you know it's not like I came and left the program and, and I haven't left since I came and um, I don't plan on ever leaving because I don't ever want to go back to that insanity I really don't you know it's just crazy um, yeah there. when you came how did you strike abstinence how, when I when I joined AA how did I strike abstinence um, um uh, oh, to the the program, sorry. Oh, wait. Um, yeah, it was, uh I think I was ready for one thing. I just remember very clearly saying to myself, I can never eat another cupcake, even if it's gluten-free. Um, and I really, I had to be there. I had to know when I went in that this was it. This was my life. And that's the place I was in. And... Um, And then I think I was really lucky to find the sponsor that I found and to work out my abstinence with her. Uh, Because, you know, really what I was going to try to start with was another diet and it was too restrictive. And I lost, you know, my weight very, very slowly, like a pound a week, something like that, which I'd never done in my life either. So, um I think I was ready, and I, and that's where you really find, okay, is there a God or not? Well, there's something, because I'm abstinent, and that's a miracle. Um, this that's
1: a um, that thing that I say
0: in the morning, you know, I, well, where's my cell phone? Because I can never remember. Like, I, I remember in my head, but if I try to say it when I'm in a meeting... <laughs> Let me find it here. Please, God, for this day, direct my thinking and actions. Let them be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, or self-seeking motives. Throughout the day, bring me an inspiration, an intuitive thought, or a decision to guide me. Help me to relax and not to struggle. Throughout the day, show me what my next step should be and give me whatever I need to take care of my problems. In particular, remove from me self-will and let me do thy will. really says everything right there, huh? I really like to, to relax and not struggle. Because I always feel like I have to be a really good girl for me to get this. So that's like such a lovely lovely idea. It reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever heard of Amachi. She's this Indian saint. She hugs people. Anyway, I went to Sarah one time because I'd moved out to California. My ex husband filed for custody of my son, and I said, "What do I need to do to get my son back?" And she didn't. She translated through somebody. She said, "I'll take care of it." I was like, "I like that. That's what I want." In a higher power, I want to be cared for, and, and it's it's a lovely you know idea. And that's like turn my will and my life over. I'm going to be cared for. You know, I have to give up my will, try to do God's will, but you know that there's that loving presence is you know so nice. Another minute, quick question. can Talk about things that you things that you thought were true your whole life and then. Be open to discovering the contrary. I mean, maybe you had an experience recently finding out you weren't allergic to dogs. How do you open yourself up to sort of life-altering truths? Um. <laughs> <laughs> how do you open yourself up to life-altering truths? Um. I think it's just another. It's another step in the process. I mean, it's like any time I do attempt stuff, you know. Thanks. All right. Woo-hoo!